Good morning, everyone. For those of you that I haven't met yet, my name is Dustin Buell, and I'm the director of student ministries here at the church. And since it's Confirmation Sunday, Adam asked me if I would preach today. So it's my honor to share a little bit with you this morning. Have you ever talked to your parents about the very first word that you spoke as a child? Many of you may have cooed an affectionate mama or dada or called for your bottle or a simple hi or maybe the two-year-old favorite, uh-oh. My first word, on the other hand, was none other than the word duck. You see, each night before bed and often several other times during the day, my parents would sit and read to me. Since my mom was a first grade teacher, there were no shortage of children's books in our home. They soon realized, however, that without question, my favorite book was one called Moo Moo Peekaboo. It was about farmyard animals, and my parents eagerly read it to me over and over again. And as my mom tells it, my favorite page in the book was the one about ducks. And each time as she would turn the page, I would exclaim, duck, when the picture would show up. When I get a bit long-winded in some of my impact lessons, I'm guessing that a few of our students probably wish that I still only knew one word. (laughs) But it wasn't long before my vocabulary expanded and I was speaking in complete sentences. A 2007 joint study conducted by the University of Arizona, the University of Texas, and Washington University in St. Louis, which tracked over 400 working-age men and women, found that on average, humans speak between 15,000 and 16,000 words a day. That's a lot of spoken language. Even before they've mastered the physical requirements of talking, babies can express an impressive number of words through sign language. God has obviously hardwired our brains with an amazing ability to acquire language, to express ourselves, to exchange ideas and communicate through the words that we speak and sometimes the words that we don't speak. With so many words flying out of our mouths and now our fingers and thumbs, it's not surprising that God has quite a bit to say about how we should use this amazing gift of language that he's given us. By one count, the Bible contains no fewer than 120 specific references to the ways we should, shouldn't, and do speak. Furthermore, God chose to reveal himself to us not only through Christ's coming to earth, but through the power of his written word in the Bible. The Apostle John begins his gospel by reminding the readers that in the beginning, the word was with God, and the word was God. In that context, the word that John references is Jesus himself, who would come to earth and be the living word of our salvation. During confirmation, you read through the entire gospel of Luke. You should be proud of yourselves. For eighth graders, reading through that entire book in about three and a half months takes some pretty serious commitment. Hopefully, through reading those assignments that I gave you, you've begun to develop the habit of daily opening God's word so that you can allow his wisdom to speak to your life. We read some pretty cool stuff in Luke. We read about Christ's birth and baptism. We read about some of the miracles he performed, about Lazarus and the poor man, about the friends who were willing to dig through their roof to get their crippled friend to Jesus. We also read some pretty challenging things about giving up all of our possessions to those who need them, eating with or being friends with those that no one else likes. Some of you expressed that quite honestly, Some of those things are very hard to do. Since we read through Luke together, I hope that you'll recognize this passage that I'm about to read to you since it comes from Luke. The version on the paper that you were all handed when you entered worship today comes from a Bible translation called The Message. Would you follow along with me as I read? And Jesus said, these words I speak to you 
are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They're foundation words, words to build a life on. If you work the words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. When the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. In Luke 6, Jesus tells his followers that simply hearing or reading his words isn't good enough. They actually have to turn those words into action for his message to be of any real value in their lives. Jesus doesn't leave much room for doubt when he says, if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter. When I was a sophomore in college, Asbury University decided to remodel the bathrooms in the central wing of my dorm just before school let out that spring. I'm not sure that the bathrooms had been updated since the dorms had been built in the 1950s, so they were definitely in need of some modernization. Most of the work would be completed over the summer, but they began the project on the top floor before May that semester. As we walked to and from class, we watched as the workers installed new shower stalls, new tile, new toilets, and gave the walls a beautiful new coat of paint. The bathrooms looked amazing. When I came back to school the next fall, however, I saw padlocks on the doors to those nice, nice new bathrooms on my third floor, as well as the bathrooms on the first and second floor that I had expected would be completed over the summer. When I asked my dorm director about the padlocks, he told me that as the building inspector was looking over the work, he noticed that some of the original pipes from the bathrooms on the top floor had been hooked up incorrectly back in the 1950s. And each time a toilet flushed or a sink drained, a little bit of water had seeped out and slowly caused the floor joist to rot out over time. You see, while the new bathroom looked great, the reality was the floor was weak and all that pretty paint and tile were ready to collapse. The carpenters had some hard work ahead of them, but their work was necessary to make those bathrooms both functional and safe on a strong foundation. Jesus doesn't want our lives to be like those bathrooms with a rotting floor. Some of what we read in Luke does and will take hard work, but he is able to see the whole picture, and Jesus knows that the hard work will be worth it. When the hard times do come in our lives, he wants us to be able to stand strong by applying what we've read to our lives and relying on him as our foundation. Over the course of our confirmation classes, we've also talked about the many words found in the confirmation liturgy in our hymnals. In a few minutes, you're going to stand and proclaim your faith to everyone in attendance today. One of the primary reasons we celebrate confirmation during a public worship service rather than a private ceremony is so that other Christians can help hold us accountable to our decision and our commitment to follow Christ with our entire lives. By speaking those words aloud, we're committing ourselves to public examination and asking others to help support us along the way. Promises that we make in private are rarely ever kept. In fact, I've been promising I'd start a weekly running routine for about two months now. But as you can probably see, that hasn't happened yet. And now that I've announced those intentions to the entire congregation, however, I'm much more likely to carry out that plan. Both because I don't want to have to answer with no anytime someone asks me if I've been running, but also because I know I'll have friends to challenge and encourage me when I haven't been running like I should. When you're confirmed at the end of the service, Pastor Adam will ask you 
if you will faithfully participate in the ministries of the church by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. Hopefully you'll answer with, I will. While those are two seemingly simple words, they represent a lifetime commitment and a public promise to place your faith first in all aspects of your life. You're committing to live your life in service to Christ through the church, but you're not alone. As soon as you commit to be present in our church's ministries and use the gifts and talents that God has given you to serve the church, the rest of us in the congregation will respond that we will help you with those aims. We'll also renew our own commitments to do the same. For those of you in the congregation who haven't been to one of our impact meetings or any of our other youth events, I'd invite you to come join us sometime. When you do come, you'll find out that I really only have one standing rule for our youth group. Of course, I have some other specific instructions from time to time when they're needed, but my only overarching rule for impact comes from Ephesians 4.29, which reads, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Speak only what is useful for building up or encouraging others or providing instruction when necessary. When I was introducing myself and that rule last fall, one of our youth summed up the verse well when she said, So basically, nothing should come out of your mouth unless it makes someone else's life better. Just take a walk down the school hallway or scroll through your Instagram feed and you'll hear and see an endless barrage of insults, passive-aggressive compliments, and memes ridiculing just about anyone and everyone. If the Apostle Paul were writing that same letter to the Ephesians today with the prevalence of electronic communication, I would imagine that he might add fingers and thumbs to that passage as well. It might read something like, whenever you speak, text, or type, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, your fingers, or your thumbs. I'll admit that all too often I respond to others with a biting wit that stings those who hear. Or I childishly tease a friend, all in fun, in a way that doesn't seem all that fun to them. At other times I waste valuable opportunities for genuine and necessary conversation by talking at length about last night's Royals game or my favorite Star Wars movie. Instead of talking about real heart issues, I spend my time chatting about things that don't actually matter all that much, things that I'll probably forget about in a week or two. But to put it quite plainly, as Christians, this shouldn't be our everyday norm. Undoubtedly, we'll slip up, and as we read in James 3, verse 6, our tongues can be like sparks that light a big fire. If we're not careful, our words can wreak havoc around us. It takes hard work and conscious effort to ensure the words that we speak spark a deeper relationship with Christ rather than burning the walls down around us. We're called to speak words that bring life and not destruction. I'm sure we can all recall a time in vivid detail when the words that someone else spoke to us cut straight to our heart. Even if such an instance may have happened a decade or more ago, those words stay with us. More often than not, the person didn't even know just how greatly we were affected by what they said. But how many of us could recall a similar situation in which you or I were the ones whose words cut straight to someone else's heart? Even without true ill intent, words can have a devastating impact on those who hear them. I won't speak for you, but I know that my own words have hurt others far more often than I'd like to admit. I'd like each of you to grab the piece of paper that you were handed as you walked into church today. For those of you that are watching at home, you can grab any piece of paper that you may have lying around the house. 
I want you to take that paper and crumple it up into a tight ball. Or if you're not the paper crumpling type, maybe one or two folds will be enough. Now I'd like you to flatten it back out again. Smooth it out, get rid of all the creases and all the fold lines. Make it look just like it did before you crumpled it up. I hear some murmuring. What do you notice? It's not, <laughs> it's not working. Despite your best efforts, those creases are still visible. Even if I went home and grabbed an iron and ironed out that paper, many, if not most, or all of those lines would remain. God knew what he was talking about when he told us to carefully guard the words that come out of our lives. There is power in the spoken and written word. Whether it's a conversation we have at lunch, something we shout down the hallway, or something we post or repost on social media, each time we speak to someone, our words have the power to leave a permanent crease in his or her life. Will those creases be the kind of memories that cause them to cringe each time they think of us? Or will they instead be creases of encouragement? Will you leave a lasting legacy of kindness and support in their lives? In Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. One of my favorite scripture passages comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 13, we read, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. When they heard Jesus speaking about salt, early Christians would have recognized salt's ability to provide preservation and to improve the taste of food. When used properly, our words have the God-given power to bring life to those around us. Let's resolve to make sure that our words aren't idle or damaging. Instead, let's work to make sure that each and every word we say is seasoned with grace, full of encouragement, and useful to those around us. And as that student said last fall, said last fall, let's work to make someone else's life better through what we say. For most of us, committing to guard our words is a tough task. Changing our speech patterns and habits to only speak words that are useful or encouraging or worthwhile takes a serious overhaul in our vocabulary and our ways of thinking. But think back to that first word that you spoke as a child. In my case, I didn't just randomly say the word duck. I said it because I had practiced it over and over each time my parents read to me. As Christians, learning to align our lives with Christ's takes repetition and practice. And even then, our actions should reflect what we come to know about Christ. Following Christ means putting those words into practice each and every day. God's word should be our foundation and not just window dressing. For our confirmands joining the church today and the rest of us in the congregation who renew our covenants to follow Christ along with them, let the words we speak be a gentle prod and reminder to put the rest of our words into action. Our words matter. Both the formal vows we take when we join in church membership and the words that we speak in passing to friends and classmates and coworkers. Guarding our words takes practice and the guidance of Christian friends who are willing to walk with us along the way. Don't be discouraged when you struggle, because I promise we all do. Instead, 
Trust that God is wiser than we are when he asks us to do the hard work necessary to lay a firm foundation and lean on the encouragement of those walking with us in the church. When you speak the words of the confirmation liturgy today, join me in committing yourselves to living out the words you speak, to making sure that each and every word in our lives points back to Christ.